0: Turn with me over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. We're going to continue with our series on preparing an on-ramp for God. Subtitled today, an open door, run through it. An open door, run through it. Verses 7 and 8 of Revelation 3. Jesus is speaking to John, who is recording, and he says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this, I know your deeds. Verse 8, Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Lord, help us as we study. Three things upon which I'd like to speak to you. One, the stewardship of the power God's given you. Two, the stewardship of the word he's given you and how you need to protect it. And three, our responsibility to profess, to talk about who Jesus is and how those three things uniquely allow for an on-ramp to be built so that Jesus can come to your life in ways that he would not otherwise. Let me give you some background of this passage the church in philadelphia was one of the, the best churches in all of the world indeed asia and these churches in the book of revelation are churches in asia and these churches are doing their best to try to exist in, in antagonistic environments in philadelphia it was no different they were believing they were trusting they were holding on to their faith but but doing so in really a cauldron the jewish people had ostracized them from their community now that might sound innocuous but it's dangerous at least sociologically because the Jewish sect was recognized by Rome and being an organization that was recognized by Rome they had privileges they didn't have to pay more taxes their citizenry was not questioned when they gathered together there was no official there that needed to be there to see what needed to be said There was no threat to the Roman Empire. They were were sanctioned by Rome. But when a group was split off from a group that was sanctioned by Rome and then set aside to such a degree that the group that was sanctioned by Rome no longer recognizes the group that split off, then that group falls under the judgment of Rome because they are no longer a sect that is approved. And generally speaking, the sect falls under the, the kinds of persecution that, that don't make it easy to meet nor function. Neither does it make the individuals, those who enjoy the privileges, that a normal Roman citizen would enjoy. So generally speaking, what would happen is you'd have to pay more taxes if you were part of that. You might be considered in an unlawful assembly if you meet with other people who are like that and therefore subject to all of the the, 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 the the condemnations that would come as a result of groups meeting that, that Rome considers to be threats to their rule. And remember, it was normal for everybody to walk by one another and to pledge their allegiance to the Roman Empire by saying things like this, Kyrios Caesar, which meant Caesar is Lord. And that would be their greeting, not just a hello, but you would, you, you would, you would confess your allegiance to Rome. And the other person would say, Curious Caesar back. And, but the problem was, when a Christian got that, it, was, it, it got difficult because it meant Caesar was Lord. Curious Caesar. And then the Christian would have to say, mm, No, Jesus is Lord. And they realized that Caesar was a ruling authority in the earth. They got that. But they wouldn't go so far as to call him God. And so, there was an automatic real rift between the Roman Empire and Christians. So much so in the Jewish community that the Jewish community did not want Christians to define them and then them, meaning the Jewish community, get in trouble. So the Jewish community defined the Christian community in in Philadelphia as the synagogue of Satan. That's what they were called. Now, if you look further on in this passage you'll see that Jesus calls the people who are persecuting the church the synagogue of Satan. But as we've said before, every time we see something here in the book of Revelation that is unusual in its approach and that we've never seen it before in other passages, meaning Jesus is speaking things that we haven't heard him say before, it's usually because it's something that's that's very appropriate and understandable to the life of that church that's happening naturally. And he is leveraging that to bring out a spiritual point and to encourage the people. And so as they, meaning the church in Philadelphia, was called by the Jewish non-believers in Jesus, the synagogue of Satan, so Jesus is now turning that, that whole phrase back on the people who are ostracizing and persecuting the Christians and saying, you call them that, I'm letting you know you're really that because you're fighting against me. So Jesus is not coming up with a pejorative on his own as he begins to define them later in the passage. He's just using the statement that was coined by the Jews against the Christians, against them. He's turning it back on them. And these believers were, were pretty amazing. I mean, they get some of the greatest commendations of anybody in the New Testament regarding their faith. He talks about how they're great and Jesus is proud of them. And, and generally speaking, you want this kind of thing to be said about you and your church. He said there are a couple of things they needed to overcome. And once they did, they were going to be commended again in new ways, new names they were going to be given. And, and Jesus would stamp the name of the Father on them. And it was, it was going to be enormous when they overcame. But they had, they had some, some things that they couldn't figure out, and so Jesus was answering questions that they may have been asking themselves, meaning there are doors that are shut to us in Roman society as a result of us believing in you, Jesus. How do we deal with this? And this is why Jesus says, I'm about to open doors that no man can shut. Although others have shut opportunity to you, I want you to know that there are opportunities not otherwise afforded to you Had you not come to me, no, you wouldn't have gotten this opportunity. But now that you have, I'm about to open something that no one will be able to shut. Later on in the passage, he says, and I'm going to protect you from the tribulation that is to come. Meaning this, I'm going to shut the door on the people who want to come and hurt you. That they won't be able to get through this locked door I create and that you will be protected the entire time. And so everything that has happened to them, that the church in Philadelphia is trying to figure out how in the world are we going to make it through, Jesus encourages them. And I want you to know Jesus is about encouraging you. When you are doing the will of God and you got questions, all you got to do is be faithful and wait. He's going to bring encouragement to you. Whether it be through... Uh, A little black man like me preaching on a Sunday morning or somebody who's a friend of yours or in your own personal devotional life where you are spending time with God. And all of a sudden you hear this encouragement that says, I'm with you. Don't give in. Don't quit. Don't go back. Stay on course. I'm going to back you the whole way. That's the kind of thing God is trying to tell the church in Philadelphia. And that's the kind of thing he will tell you. Creating an open door. Now, how did the open door happen? But it happened through their obedience. And, and, and by the way, I don't know that we as a people aren't going to be living in Philadelphia soon. We had a moment to pray last week over the Supreme Court's decision on how marriage needs to be defined. And so we prayed and fasted on Tuesday. And I'm all for figuring out how we can see God manifest and his principles best expressed in our country. I'm all for that. I don't believe in a theocracy in in terms of America. That doesn't mean that what Israel experienced wasn't real in the days of the monarchs, the kings. Good. But we live in in a democracy. And so I'm not trying to impose a whole bunch of laws that restrict everybody's conduct all the time. Not. By the way, do you know what laws are really for? Laws are for good people. It's to help people who want to do right know not to do wrong. But laws don't work for people who want to do wrong. They aren't made for folk that want to go out and break it anyway. (laughs) Laws are for good people. And so laws, they help folk who are right not to be wrong, but they don't fix anything. And so I am all for the church doing what it needs to do sociologically and praying for good decisions to be rendered by those in power in our country. All for it. And we need to vote according to our conscience and biblically as best as possible, all for that. But realize, somewhere on the priority list of things that the church ought to do is is pray. Somewhere on the priority list is witness. Somewhere on the priority list is preach the gospel in order to see a sea change occur in our society. Because as we exist in a democracy, the majority rules. And if you haven't noticed... We ain't it. And we're going the wrong way. I mean, darkness, the sun is setting quick. Faster than ever. 15 years ago, we didn't know we'd be here sociologically. We had no idea. We'd be dealing with what we're dealing with. And right around the corner is coming the government to the church saying, if you don't hire these people to be your employees, we're going to take your 501c3. And then we will sue you for improper and discriminatory hiring practices. That's coming. Why? Because the majority doesn't like us. They don't just think we're irrelevant. They think we are an impasse, something, a, a, a blockade to their progress. And, and we are the last block to their progress because we are the pillar in support of truth. That's what, what Paul tells Timothy. That's what we do. And our job is to uphold truth. So somebody comes and says, I wish to apply for your administrative uh, personnel responsibilities, your COO. I say, were you a Christian? Well, some. I believe in some, but not all the Bible. I said, no, we cannot hire you. Oh, you must. You can't discriminate on the basis of of what you believe. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Well, we're going to sue you. Do what you got to do. You take our 501c3? Okay. I'm not here for a tax break. (laughs) Are you? (laughs) Oh, we're going to find out in a minute. We're going to find out in a minute. (laughs) I've already told our staff. Our our leaders are saying, what is it going to look like when we no longer have tax-exempt status? Because we're going that way. And this is why we need to pray for revival in the church, an awakening in the church, something that happens. (laughs) Revival means this, that the church begins to be revived, come alive again to that which is most important to God's heart. And that there is an awakening in the community and awakening in the community means that people who don't know him get their eyes open to understand gosh I am accountable to God almighty what am I doing we need to pray for both otherwise the tide is going the wrong direction y'all and the majority will rule and we will be on the outs and we will be considered unlawful doing things illegal and your pastor if he lives long enough will be in jail (laughs) you think I'm kidding we'll be in jail And we might be sued in all of our resources, apprehended. That could happen because the world is going the wrong way. We might be living in Philadelphia someday. And that's why I say the political thing, okay, please vote. Please do what you need to do sociologically. Please pray and fast that our leaders will make good decisions. Please do all the things of being salt and light in our community. Please be the Daniels that are in our political system, that help, know, help people know what right from wrong is. Be the Josephs that bring provision to a society that would lack otherwise, be that. But remember that it doesn't fix anything. It only stops bad things from happening. The only thing that fixes stuff is what only the church can do, which is pray and believe God for revival here and awakening out there and be witnesses of the kingdom on the regular so folk can get right with him. That changes hearts, which then will change the majority. And then we can have righteous rule in our country again. Otherwise, it will not happen we probably are going to live in Philadelphia sooner than we want but jesus says you've done something and i want you to know it's tough living i get it but you've done something that allows me to do some things for you one you have a little bit of power and i've recognized it amazing and this isn't this isn't a disparaging comment he's not not trying to criticize him when he says a little bit of power he's not talking about a mount as much as he's talking about function. He's being consistent with his other comments, meaning Jesus is speaking here. He's being consistent with his other comments that are found in the Gospels. The disciples looked at Jesus and said, man, you got some faith. Can we have faith like that? You are amazing. The way you can cast out a devil and raise a debt, we ain't ever done that. And, and most of y'all haven't done that. I mean, when you hear somebody's passed away and you get an invitation to the funeral, you're not trying to raise him from the dead, are you? you you're going to pay your respects. Yeah, my, my point is, you're, you're not thinking, this is a moment in God where the Lord, get out of the casket, boy. You're not thinking that way. So we, we don't have that large of faith. But, but Jesus says, even the little bit you got makes a difference. The society is getting so dark today, it doesn't take much anymore. The darkness is so dark, all you need is a little spark, just a little flicker of light. You're you're with your buddies and and you only have a beer and a half when they get six. Just a little flicker of light. (laughs) They're asking you, why aren't you drinking? Well, I'm trying to be a Christian. You know, I'm trying to keep myself together so that I can witness to people. You know, I've and I'm not against drinking. Drink, I don't care. Just don't get drunk. I don't care. But I've determined the people who do drink are just stronger than me because I I can't do that. And my daddy was an alcoholic, and there might be something bent on the inside of me that when I start liking it, I won't really like it. And so I don't feel like going that way. Secondly, I think if I have a beer and somebody begins to say, Pastor... Tell me about Jesus. I might forget every scripture. <laughs> I mean, it just won't flow out of me anymore. So I... D- wait, uh, uh, I know where it is. Wait a minute. Wait, a, wait, a, wait, 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 wait. Oh. And you feel the buzz and you just... okay. But I'm just... I'm convinced that you all don't have that problem. <laughs> you can just flow in the gospel at any time. Be in that buzzy feeling. Not drunk, but have that... Bu- you could just minister... And you can win people with a drink in your hand. I'm convinced of it because you're so free. I I just can't be that free. I wish I could. I really do. But you're amazing. (laughs) Just a little flicker. Just a little flicker. You may not even know your Bible very well, but you got a story. Jesus has helped you. You need to share your story. If you have just a little bit of faith, he says, in in Mark chapter 11, just a little bit. If you have a mustard seed of faith, a mustard seed is the third of the size of a BB. It is so small, yet when it's planted, it becomes the largest tree in the garden. Not the largest tree in the forest, but in the garden that you are cultivating to produce fruit for God. It becomes the largest tree. And so Jesus isn't necessarily talking about amount as as much as he's talking about function. When he says, you have a little bit of faith. Your seed is small. But there's a lot in there. Plant it well and it will grow. And he's only looking for a little bit on the inside of you because a little will do a lot. I commend you, church of Philadelphia. Your faith may be small, but it's enough if you use it. Your power may be little, but watch when you steward it well. It increases an in influence in people's lives. Just a little bit, just a spark. Secondly, you've kept my word. Now the word kept there, kept is, is the word terio, which is also translated guard. And there's some things we need to guard in our life. Things we need to hold on to. And we need to hold on to this word. Everything about this Bible is contrary to what the world says ought to be done. And you don't just need a minimal orthodox understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what Christianity is. You need to be armed with all the scriptures necessary to confront the realities of your world that are going the wrong way every day. Which means, in order for you to get that kind of stuff, you need to read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. However, I need to mispronounce the syllable so that you can get it, read your Bible every day. Daily reading of Scripture is not for the professional that needs to present on a regular basis. Daily reading of Scripture is for everybody who loves God and wants to change their world, have an impact for the kingdom. This is God's love letter to you. It's His instructional manual on how you can live best. And in order to keep His Word, you have to receive His Word. You've got to hear His Word. You have to understand His Word. You've got to read His Word. What are you keeping? And there's a way in which you keep it. Not only do you need to read it and listen to it, and I'm so happy you're here today. I really am. I love the fact you're here. I will never disparage the idea of you coming to church, but you have to go to work tomorrow. What are you going to do at work? Because that's where your Christianity, that's where you really find out how you believe and what you believe. Not just here, you can be really happy and, and, and hallelujah and all day long and hugging folk, but you, your Christianity is best expressed out there. What happens on Monday? Can you apply the word to your everyday life? Which means you have to believe it. Not just read it, you're going to, have to, you're going to have to let this word get down on the inside of you and believe it in, in contrary ways to what the world is telling you. And your faith is going to be tested every day of your life if you're doing right by God. Yes, you're going to have to say, this, this word is telling me what reality is, though my circumstances are telling me contrary. Oh, I'm so happy, thank you. 715 chairs. That's $1,000 a chair. That's $715,000 we didn't have otherwise. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much for helping us put up this facility. We're doing it with cash. I am so grateful. And we are close. I mean, we are on the back stretch. And it's really, really great. But I know that some of you have sacrificed inordinately. I know you're sitting there every day thinking, boy, I want to participate, but I got a card note. I got a house though. I got light bills and I got three kids in college. Pastor, I don't know where I'm going to get the money, but you pledged. And you may not have said a thousand. You may have said, well, I'll, I'll buy an armrest on the chair. <laughs> I, I, I'll put a hundred dollars to it. I'll buy a tenth of a chair. And thank you. That's huge because you were stepping out in faith. But as soon as that hundred dollars comes due, the enemy will remind you, wait a minute, you got to eat this week. As soon as that hundred dollars comes due, lo and behold, you're, something happened, and you're late for work, and now you have to take the express lane on 495 and pay twenty-eight dollars to get to work. <laughs> That's the most expensive toll I have seen. Don't do it. Just get up earlier. Get up <laughs> earlier. That's just dumb. But now you got to take. You say, well, wait a minute. This is gonna cut into my pledge. I don't know how I'm gonna do. And all of a sudden, things come at you. But you have to know, if God inspired you, he will provide. But if you don't have the word on the inside of you, if you don't have his promises living there, then all you've got is what the enemy and your circumstances are telling you. And then your pragmatism kicks in and you say, well, I can't make it this month. I've got to pay. You, you don't believe that God will provide. And he is looking for an unwrap into your life that he might bring his provision. But many times he requires you to Believe. So it's not just enough to know it. you got to believe it. And he will orchestrate circumstances so that you will have an opportunity to express your belief. Everybody wants a miracle. Nobody wants the circumstances necessary. God will orchestrate it. Your job is to believe. You need to meditate on this word as well. Get in this Bible. And don't just know it by your head but know it in your heart get it down on the inside and make regular deposits of this word david said i've hidden your word in my heart that i may not sin against you oh how important it is to to take this word and vault it up put it in the bank deposit box safety deposit box make sure why because it's valuable and the enemy wants to steal it anything of value somebody else desires And you have to take this word and hide it down there. Make regular deposits so that the reservoir of your soul will provide for you the resources necessary that don't allow you to ever bounce a check. Too many of us are bouncing checks. Where's that? In the name of Jesus that Paul speaks. That's what the seven sons of Skaver did. They were trying to cast out a devil from their buddy. And they said, "Now, wait a minute. Okay. We saw Paul. This is Acts 19. We saw Paul. He said in the name in the name of Jesus. And he said, "Paul." Said, okay. So this is in the name of Jesus that Paul speaks, "Come out." And the demon looked at him and said, "Oh, y'all don't know what you're doing." Y'all do not know what... Listen, I know Jesus and I know Paul. But what's your name again? <laughs> he beat all seven of them up. Forced him out of the house naked. They bounced a check. They didn't have it down on the inside. All they'd made it was formulaic. And there's nothing about Christianity that is formulaic. It's all relational. And if you don't have a relationship with God... Understanding who he is in his word depositing this word down in your heart on a regular basis when time comes to you to write a check you won't have the funds you got to make regular <laughs> deposits so that this word becomes yours and you identify with it to such a degree that there is no separation between your obedience and what is written meditation is that which allows us the privilege of rehearsing it over and again hearing it, saying it And it's based on what we believe, even though the Hebrew word does not say this, we believe is based on an animal that chews the cud. An animal that chews the cud has four compartments in its stomach, and it takes down the food and that which is not digestible because it hadn't been chewed well enough in the mouth, they actually regurgitate it, bring it back up, chew it again, and they bring it down three times until it gets into the fourth compartment of the stomach, whereby then it is digestible enough in order to become hair and sinew and muscle and bone. And this is the way the word works in your life. You hear it? You read it, you keep meditating on it, you keep bringing it back up And as a result, after time, it becomes one with you So that nobody can tell the difference between what you believe and who you are That's how you keep this word That's how you keep it Lastly, he said, you haven't denied my name Hmm. Pretty great these people obviously hadn't denied his name because they publicly went out and said, I believe in Jesus, and they lost everything as a result. When you're on the plane or the subway and someone starts a conversation with you and asks about your life a little bit and wants to know who you are, and, and you are really you, you help them in the definition by showing your family. So you pull out your phone and you hit the, the, the photo app and all of a sudden your, your kids come up and your wife comes up. And, and here's, your, here's my 16-year-old, my 14-year-old, my 11-year-old. And, you're, saying, and you're, just, you're, you're proud. You're showing them. Um, when, when do you show people Jesus? I mean, w- w- you, do, do you ever identify with him like that? I'm not asking you to preach like me. I'm just asking you to reveal the ones who are most important to your life. When do you ever show Jesus? Well, pastor, I've never denied them. Okay. If I'm in the presence of a lot of women, pretty women, women that are interested in me, you got to be desperate. I get that. I get that. You got to be desperate. I get that. And I do this. What do you think my wife would say? (laughs) Oh, I didn't deny that I was married. I just didn't reveal it. I'd be sleeping with you tonight (laughs) in your house if my wife found out I did something like that. Because, see, the ring is just a witness of your commitment. That's all it is. And when you take it off, You're not giving giving people an opportunity to know who you are most connected to. When do you give an opportunity for people to know who you are most connected to? Haven't denied my name. You haven't denied me in public. And I want you to know something. Because you're exercising the little bit of faith you got. Because you kept my word. And because it was hard, I know, to say you were identified with me, but because you did that, I'm opening a door that everybody else shut. I'm giving you opportunity that nobody else has. You've created an on-ramp for me to do some stuff for you. And when people come and try to get you, I'm closing the door. They can't get through it. They will never be able to open it. This, this is what it means in, in one respect there are many others we've talked about it for about 13 weeks now but this is one way that we continually create on-ramps for God to get to us in a hurry and allow us to walk through things and doors and opportunities that we wouldn't have had otherwise you do these three things well you'll see doors open to you all the time and Doors closed to the enemy in your life. He'll have to come in some other way. He won't be able to come through the door. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. Jesus said the thief breaks in. I won't let him in the door, but he tries to get in other places. You don't create an opportunity for him to come in. Doesn't mean he can't attack, but he can't come through the door. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace, empower and bless these dear people to walk right and live.